We are proceeding rapidly through Hebrews. At least this week we're taking a jump forward and gulping down a whole chapter, chapter 4. And it is, it's got a lot into it. And I trust that by the fact that the author has laid it out so beautifully that this chapter 4 will be one of your favorite chapters of the Bible. I fell in love with it this week, just going over it several times and trust that God will really anoint it by his Holy Spirit, his word, so that it is in our hearts and we understand what it is to follow Jesus and we're looking to Jesus and uh, receiving mercy, finding grace. I've titled as that. You could probably put several titles to this chapter four, but I picked up on the very last crescendo statement at the very end. So let's read it. Therefore, let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also have received it. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. And that's talking about what we talked about last week, that Israel would not go into the promised land. They would not go in because of fear. That's not us, okay? For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. He again fixes a certain day today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit and of both joints and marrow and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him who, with whom we have to do. 
Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Father, we desire that the Holy Spirit speak through these words to us again. To those of us who know this passage well, to those who have heard it for the first time, may it pierce our hearts. May we understand what this word is to us today. More than ever, we ask for insight, inspiration, and an inward work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Allow this word to sink deep into our hearts this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The author, we don't know who he is, but we thank God for him. The author gave us an outline. And so I didn't have to work on an outline at all this week. So I kind of had a vacation. Ha ha. <laughs> Receiving mercy and finding grace, as I said, was the title of verses 1 to 16. The introduction is the first two verses. So he gives us an outline already in that those two verses of what he's going to talk about. I like outlines, as you probably already know. First one is good news. Second is the word. And third is talking about faith, that it's by faith. And then the conclusion in his last words to us that we've already read, but we'll go over this now point by point, methodically, I trust. And uh, let's begin. The introduction is kind of interesting because we talked about, therefore, let us. That is a favorite saying, I think, of the author of Hebrews. He says it over and over again. About 20 times he says, therefore, because he's building an argument off of the old scriptures and bringing it to reality of the hearers today. And in fact, all the way up to 2017 as we're grappling with this as we're taking it in. Therefore, let us fear if. Fear. Is fear a good thing or a bad thing? Depends on the circumstance, doesn't it? If you're learning how to do high dive into a pool of water, you know, to go out to the edge of the board and look down, and it's only two feet below you there. That's not too hard to do. I think most of us got our start jumping off a diving board into the water, particularly if dad or mom were there in the water. Jump, jump, it's okay, it's okay. You'll make it, I'll grab you. How many have had that experience? But to be on a high dive, that takes training and it takes continually lifting it to a higher level. But you know what? The element of fear has to be there. No matter 
how many times you've dove, it still takes that sense of fear of accuracy. I'll use another illustration that applies to me. I am over 75, and in order to renew my Japanese driver's license, I have to go back to school. <laughs> so I went to a driving school, and they said, well, yeah, you can just take the test. It's, it's, it's very simple, and we'll let you have two hours to do that. Not many of you have ever taken that test. So <laughs> remember this, okay? It's probably going to get harder than it was for me. Anyway, so this man was trying to get me to sign up in his driving school, but they only did it in Japanese. And I said, well, I, I probably could pass it in Japanese, but do you have English? No, we don't have English. You'll have to go someplace else. But he says, it's easy. He says, your Japanese is fine. So he went through a picture book of what you need to identify in this test. He said, this isn't the test, but it's a different set of pictures that we train people for. And just tell me in Japanese what you see. And so I said, okay, hashi, which was a bridge. And I said, uh, gohan, which was a bowl of rice. <laughs> and then there was a, a chicken. I don't know why. <laughs> but I said, hendes. <laughs> and he goes, huh? Huh? And I said, yeah, hendes. <laughs> well, some of you that don't speak Japanese, you don't get the joke. But anyway, it wasn't a joke to me. I was, oh, no, how could I do that? <laughs> Let us, therefore, let us fear. So fear is a good thing. And you know what? I've got this test next month. Pray for me, okay? <laughs> I don't know whether I can pass it or not. And you know, this week, as a 77-year-old with a birthday coming up in just a little while, I'm really conscious of driving on the right side of the lane and the, you know, stopping at the, you know, at the white line. Therefore, let us fear, if what? While a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. This is not funny. This is not a game. It's not even a driver's test. This is life and death, eternal life or death. If we fall short of finding his rest, the promise is there as it was for Joshua and the children of Israel. He had promised that he would lead them there. And he showed there for two years incredible miracle. And yet they said, we can't do it. That's the example that is being given to us. The Old Testament means something to us as New Testament believers. And we've said that over and over and over again. That's why this book is only one book. It's not two books, Old and New Testament. It's one book. We need to honor it as that. And the writer of Hebrews, you notice how he keeps going back to the Old Testament? Well, that's all he really had 
but he's bringing it into the reality of Jesus Christ has already fulfilled that. And where is Jesus now? He's at the right hand of the Father on high, seated, resting, and waiting for us to come into his rest. That no one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they did also. It was good news. The two spies came back and said, Whoa, look at this cluster of grapes that we just brought back. Took two guys, and I'm sure these guys weren't wimps, with a pole with one cluster of grapes. They couldn't haul this thing out without the two of them carrying it on a pole between their shoulders. That's the kind of land it was. And that's what God was promising them. But the ten had a different report. But indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But, and we need to look at the buts when we're reading the Bible. Don't skip over them. They're there for a purpose, to bring us to alert. But the word they heard did not profit them. Why? Because it was not united by faith in those who heard. We talk about faith. We're going to talk about it some more because it is a real, tangible thing that happens in our hearts. That God has put there not as some kind of mysterious thing for us to wonder, well, what is faith anyway? We have good definitions and we're going to come up to that in Hebrews chapter 11 a definition of what faith is, and we're going to talk about that now more so as we go along. Good news. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. But we who have believed enter that rest. We're entering into it. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He is seated with the Father on high. And that song that we sang is, This is my rest forever. The rest has already been provided for us. So just receive it. But don't resist it. Don't push back on it. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the earth, God's work was completed in Christ as well at the foundation of the world. Do you think that, well, you know, Jesus had to die and that was many thousands of years later? No. According to this scripture, God had completed that plan already. It was no surprise to God when Adam and Eve sinned. That was not a surprise. You know how I know? The first conclusion that God comes to is Have you eaten of that fruit? that you were told not to. It wasn't like it took God by surprise. One of us was going to do that. So we can't point back to Adam and Eve and say, well, if it hadn't been for Adam and Eve, oh yeah, I'll tell you something. I would have done it. I've done it over and over and over again in my life. 
as you have too. But I know my Savior. I know what he has provided for me and you. And so I speak with conviction that putting your trust in him and not in yourself and not blaming others for your sin, but taking it on and owning it and saying, Jesus is my sin. This is the weight that you lift from my shoulders. You heard Red Harper's song, I'm following Jesus. And it was about the same time that I accepted Jesus Christ when I was 12 years old to be my savior and make my heart clean. I knew I had a dirty heart, a defiled heart at 12 years of age. I had stolen, I had cheated, I had lied. And my faith was placed on this man named Jesus. God fulfilled his promise to give us rest in Jesus. He completed it. By then, Jesus coming to earth as a man who you can trust that the temptation that he went through was exactly the same as yours, yet without sin, without committing sin. He became our Savior, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, the spotless, blameless Lamb of God. That's the gospel. And we could quit right there. It would be enough. Because God had said in his wrath. Why was he angry? Because God hates sin. Does God take it personally? Yes, he does, but not in the way that we think taking it personally. God is not on a revenge run. He's not out to get you. He's out to redeem you and bring you to himself. Even if you've been a Christian for many, many years and you find yourself into a sin that so easily upsets your life, you can come again. You can come again because his blood is available to us. But what happens in our hearts has happened to Israel when they said, no, we're not going in. They spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. God was still there. God was so gracious to them. The Old Testament God is a God of mercy. He's not a God of wrath. But if you do sin against him and you do not receive his forgiveness, there is judgment coming and you have not entered into his rest. We'll talk about that. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. It was done. Jesus Christ was crucified from the foundation of the world, Scripture says. It was already decided before we sinned. Praise God. And again, in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, another therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, 
he again fixes a certain day. Today, saying through David in Psalm 95, after so long a time, just as been said before, today, if you hear his voice, that means today, November 12th, 2017. Today. What is today? Well, Sunday, but it's it's today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. A hard heart is the only thing that keeps you out of heaven because you have turned away from the one who loved you and gave himself for you. Number two, the word. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, again, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. The key to rest is trusting in his word. That brings rest to us. The word of God is a place where we can go. And you may feel guilty and say, well, I don't want to read the Bible because it's going to convict me. No, that's the way you enter in. That's the way you come to him with the salvation that he's offering you. Therefore, let us, let us, come on, folks. We're going to go in together. We're going to take of his salvation together. Everyone that's in this room, we're going to do it together. Let's, or let us, say today, I trust in him. I rest in him. Not in my own works. I'm going to just gumbody must. No, we're going to rest. We're going to rest in his completed work for us. Does that mean that we're in heaven already? No. No. And we'll see that we have a rest yet ahead of us. For the word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is a two-edged sword. You know what the author is referring to with a two-edged sword? Well, you can imagine it's not just a sword with a blunt end to it and a sharp end or side to it, but it has two sharp sides to it. It's actually a Roman invention that they stole from what is now England, where the double-edged sword was actually perfected. It's got two sharp sides to it, but it's got a triangular point. And it's the most effective sword for hand-to-hand combat. And that's what we're in, isn't it? It really is. We're in hand-to-hand combat with our own souls and our sinful hearts, not spirits, but hearts, that we need something sharp in order to attack the enemy. The Romans had a, a shield that they held up to defend themselves. And then when they were in battle, 
if you've got a full body shield, you can't use a big sword, right? The shield's in the way. But if you've got a shield here, you're holding it up, and you can go like this, and you can jump out of the way. But just that point can slice right through not only flesh and muscle, but it can go right, he says here, two-edged sword piercing as far as division of soul and spirit. Whoa, that is a sharp instrument. Do any of you know Ben Carson? The brain surgeon, right? I wonder what kind of a instrument he has. And when you're going in there with brains, I mean, that's pretty sensitive. Separating Siamese twins, which he did. The brain-to-brain connection. He's famous for that. This is probably sharper. And it is meant for going in deep and dividing. It's called a gladius. You've heard of the gladiators, the Roman gladiators? That's where the word comes from. Because the gladiators, the warriors, had this gladius, a double-edged sword. It was actually more like a knife because it was only about this long. So dividing the soul and the spirit. I don't know the difference between my soul and the spirit. But the word of God does. That's how sharp the word of God is. He can say, Ron, that's soulish. This is of the Spirit. Oh, I get it. I get it. Okay, I can walk that way. Of both joints and marrow. And I read a couple of commentators on this, and I don't know the answer, but one of them said, the Roman soldier, the only thing that was susceptible to the enemy striking at him was his knees down, downward. And so the Romans figured that out, and so their shields only came down that far. But even on their enemies, they would go down and go for their knees with that piercing sword. And able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. How many of you can separate your thoughts from your intentions? Yeah, I think it's possible. But to do on a consistent basis? Why did you do that, Ron? Well, I thought Katie wasn't looking. (laughs) And I just tried out her uh, banana bread dough before it was cooked. She saw the fingerprint in there. (laughs) Now, what, what is the difference? Can you tell the difference? Not really. You need the Word of God. It can tell you the difference between your thoughts and your intentions and separate it out and lead you to believe, no, I'm not going that way as I was thinking. I'm going this way, his way. And you know what? We enter into his rest when we make the decision to do that. But there's a greater rest ahead of us. And there is no creature hidden from his sight But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And just so you think that the the word of God, well, that's just a Bible that I read. No. There's the spirit of God that uses the word 
and it follows you through your whole experience day by day. And as you dwell in this, this becomes more effective in your heart. And if you ignore it, you think, well, God's not looking anymore. And you've lost sight, the idea that things are opened to him. And that's why some people don't read the Bible. It's because they think, well, God's looking at me. Well, he's looking at you anyway. <laughs> and you can't fool him because everything's open to him. Okay, let's move on. By faith, and this is important, this point. It's very important. Another therefore. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Wow. High priest. Jesus, the high priest. No, the great high priest. They never called man, any man, the great high priest. It was, he was the high priest. That was enough. And that man was only chosen once a year to be the high priest. But there is a great high priest and he's sitting in the seat of authority in heaven for us. Praise the Lord. He's passed through the heavens. He's resurrected. He's alive today. He's seated as the victor. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, a man just like me, who came in flesh just like me, who had temptations just like me. And I think I've mentioned before, when I was just a newborn Christian, I thought, well, Jesus didn't get all the temptations that I have. Well, the Word of God says he did. And he didn't fall prey to those temptations. He suffered as a man with the same temptations as you and I struggle over. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. By faith, let us, therefore, let us hold fast our confession. What does confession mean? It's your faith. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. And if you say, well, I, I believe in Jesus. Okay, have you made him Lord of your life? Have you told him that? Well, no, but I just, I, I, I know there's a Jesus. No, you need to say the words. You need to speak it out. I believe Jesus Christ has come into the world, died for my sins, and that I have confessed those sins, he has forgiven them forever. It's good for you to hear. It's good for brothers and sisters to hear your confession. It's good for the enemy to hear that as well. And you know what? When the enemy comes to me sometimes, what I'll say, Satan, I stand against you because I believe in Jesus Christ. I put my trust in him. I will not follow that thought or suggestion. Say it with your mouth. It's a confession. It's an actualization of faith. Let us hold fast. Remember what hold fast is? True north. True north. Jesus Christ, true north. For we do not have a high priest who cannot 
sympathize with our weaknesses. A double negative there, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. What does that sentence mean? It means we have it. We have a Savior. We have one who has interceded for us. And he can relate to us. Sorry for shouting, folks, but... uh, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He can sympathize with us. And he does. But we have one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Well, you know what? If Jesus can relate to us, then why didn't he at least sin one little sin? What? Do you know what sin is? It's a blinder. It makes us insensitive to other people. It makes us not really, truly understanding other people. And Jesus understands because he's never tasted of sin. He's understood the temptation, but he stood against it and he sympathizes. He stands in our place of knowing what I've lost when I sin. Oh, how much you would have had if you hadn't fallen prey to that temptation. No, Jesus had to be the spotless, sinless Lamb of God on our behalf. Yet without sin. Okay, let's conclude. Running out of time. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence. That's the fifth time he said that, therefore. It's the fourth time he said, therefore, let us. Let's do it together. Let's draw together near Jesus. Let's encourage one another. Let's receive mercy and find grace. Grace from the throne of God. So that we may receive mercy What a merciful Father we have. What a merciful Jesus we have. And we'd find grace to help in time of need. Okay, here's the fun little thing that I've done. You know, when we were talking about grace, was it earlier this year or last year when we were talking about grace? A good way to remember grace is G stands for God's, R is riches, A is at, C is Christ's, E is expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Okay, here I found another acronym here. Okay, finding answers. Finding answers in the heavenlies. Faith. Finding answers in the heavenlies with the grace to receive the grace of God. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for what you have done in our lives. Today, if we hear your voice, we bring you our softened hearts. Thank you for the word of God, which is a hammer. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who softens our hearts. 
brings us into obedience. Thank you for grace and for faith to take hold and to see you answer, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of those around us as your people, that we walk under your grace by faith. Amen.